Good morning. Thank you for your patience as we had to quickly reset our system right when we were about to begin. Um, welcome to First Baptist Church in Lawrence, Kansas. If you notice, there is a little something between the camera and the speakers today as vaccines are coming out and county limits are increasing. We are working on planning coming back in and experimenting with different things. So this is one step into the direction of meeting in person again. Now please join me in inviting the Holy Spirit into this space. If you have a candle, feel free to light it now with us to remind us that we are together with God even though we are apart right now.
O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. Let us worship God. Please text, message, phone, email, social network, or in any other way, reach out and say God bless. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, and my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. For a day in your court is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. Selah. Hello children, it is your special time of the service, so come a little closer, get ready, and let's go. So I wonder if you have ever gotten on a grown-up's shoulders when you couldn't see something. If you were in a crowd and you couldn't see what was going on, so one of your grown-ups put you up on their shoulders and all of a sudden you could finally see whatever was going on. Well, today our Bible story is about a man named Zacchaeus, and he was short, even as an adult. And he didn't have a grown-up whose shoulders he could climb up on anymore because it's a little weird if adults did that. And so when he heard that Jesus was coming to town, he really wanted to see Jesus, but the crowd was too big, and he couldn't see. And so he climbed up a tree to see Jesus, and as Jesus was walking by, he looked up in the tree and he saw Zacchaeus. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I am going to go to your house today and stay with you. Zacchaeus was seen by Jesus. Even though he was little, even though he was up in a tree, Jesus saw him and loved him and wanted to share that love with him. That reminded me of another story that comes a little bit before this one. And that was when Jesus was preaching and teaching and some parents and children wanted to come up and the disciples said, no, no, Jesus is too busy, too important to hang out with you kids. And Jesus said, stop, bring them to me. They are important too. And so he gave them hugs and he blessed them and he spent time with those kids. So whenever you're feeling small, whenever you're feeling like you just want to be a little bit bigger to be able to reach that next thing, to be able to do that next thing, remember that Jesus still sees you and loves you no matter what size you are. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you that you see us. Thank you that you love us. Whether we're big or little, you see us and you know us. 
please remind us of this, especially when we're feeling small, unseen, and alone. Remind us that you see us and that you love us always. Amen. for us to share our joys and concerns. And I don't know about you, but this week has been filled with a lot of concerns for me. It has been a week where the brokenness in the world has seemed extra evident. Between the shooting in Atlanta on Tuesday where eight people died, and it seems that a combination of mental illness, racism, and just some bad theology all contributed to this tragedy has been weighing on my heart. I also participated in a mental health workshop this week and in the coming weeks where I was reminded that one in three teens every year struggle with mental health. And lastly, we participated in a conversation about racism in Lawrence this week. So I'm going to give a little bit of extra time during um, the morning prayer for just some silence to reflect and share the brokenness that you see in the world with God and to remember that God hears our prayers. Now let us join in the union discipline of confession. O oh God of forgiveness, we pray for new life as we confess our old ways. We hear of your promise amid our own sense of self-doubt. Hope is proclaimed, yet we seek guarantees. Christ calls us to obedience, but we set conditions. When called on to follow, we ask to what end? We applaud commitment, but we treasure our comfort. Forgive our reluctance to walk in the newness of life.
siblings in Jesus Christ. By the faith of Christ, your sins are forgiven. May you delight in the joy of your salvation. Let's pray. O Lord, our rock, you are our shelter, a place to rest and heal. Yet you do not shelter us from the sin and brokenness of this world. Instead, you chose to live among us, to suffer with us, to experience hatred and racism yourself, but to still choose extravagant love, to use your final breaths to offer forgiveness, and to seek out and welcome those who are often ignored, shamed, and unseen. Jesus, many of us come to you today weary and burdened. Let us be brave and take a few moments in the silence to share our hearts, knowing that you listen with love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing our prayers. Now give us strength and wisdom to do the next right thing, to love our enemies, to see everyone as beloved and made in your image, and to proclaim the kingdom of God as we pray together the prayer that you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Good morning. My name is Emily Johnson, and this is my brother Trevor. Since 2008, we have had the opportunity to be involved with Family Promise at FBC. When we were little, this meant getting to come up to the church and play with other kids and eat Wendy's cooking. As we got older, we also got to help in the kitchen and help transport the beds from our church to other churches in the rotation. We also became more aware of the role FBC plays in the support of these families, which especially struck home for us as we sometimes served our own classmates and friends who were in the program. Looking back, we can also see how we played a part in helping these families, even when we were eight and five, running around chasing each other in the Roger Williams room. In 2020, Family Promise served 395 families, consisting of 1,327 people, 804 of which were children. Family Promise needs our help now more than ever to help families suffering economic hardships, and we want to tell you about the perfect opportunity that we have to help serve these families. It is time for the annual Family Promise 5K home run, and because of COVID, it will be virtual again so you don't have to worry about the weather or being out of town that day. In a minute, you will see the information on the screen about how to register. You can register for, to be on the FBC Heart and Souls team for just $20 a person. You can run, walk, bike, skateboard, etc. on your own time anytime between May 15th and May 31st. Go to church website for instructions. Use the QR code on your screen. If you don't want to run but want to give, write Family Promise Home Run on your check or use drop down on Breeze. May this this time of year, may this time of Lent be an introspective meditation of letting go, acceptance and rebirth. The word Lent comes from an Anglo-Saxon word meaning spring, which is derived from a verb meaning to lengthen. Lent comes in the spring when the days become noticeably longer. This annual season of fasting, prayer, and penance has been observed by the Western church since the first century after Christ, although it has not always been 40 days long. In more recent times, it has been kept to 40 days after the example of Moses and Elijah and to commemorate the 40 days of fasting and prayer that Jesus spent in the wilderness. Lent is a season of spiritual growth, a time for progressive unfoldment. How can we best be attentive to the spiritual journey during this time of grieving, introspection, seeking, and redemption? How can we best help those around us seeking the same things? How can we open a dialogue with those around us to find out where they are at in their journey? Please consider helping the church financially by donating to help facilitate our ongoing efforts to work with others seeking this same truth, seeking their truth, seeking their way to God in this Lent season. You can send a church, you can send a check to the church here at First Baptist Church and donate online at firstbaptistlawrence.com or you can donate with the QR code will be coming up and the link there. Thank you and God bless.
is here below. Praise God above me, heavenly host, Creator Christ and Holy Ghost. Amen. Lord and Savior, truly we are your servants. In you we live and move and have our being. We offer you our thanksgiving and call on your name. We love you, Lord, for you hear us and respond in graciousness and compassion and righteousness. You deliver our souls from death, our feet from stumbling, and our eyes from tears. Now receive our tithes and offerings, we pray. Multiply them so that your work and word can go forth. Amen. Selah. I'm Dawn Trent, and first I want to show you a little something my mentor, Suzanne Gilbert, showed me about nature. This morning I was peeling an apple, and when I picked this apple peel up, you can see there's a little bit of a shape to it, all right? That shape we call a spiral, right? Now, let's think about other places we might see a spiral. Think about nature. Think about some other places you might see it. I have this great seashell here. I don't know how well you can kind of see the tip, but think about that. Think about how there's a spiral in the end of a lot of shells. And if we could cut it open, we'd see some more spiraling inside. Hmm. How about celery? I'll bet you've never thought about celery and spirals before. But if you cut the celery off the base, first of all, the base has a nice spiral in it. You can even paint with this. You can dip it in paint and put it on paper and you'll really see some spiral. But also at the very bottom where you cut that celery off, there's a little bit of a spiral in there. Hmm. Well, I wonder who designed all these spiral things in nature? Yep, God did. All right, let's think about um, an animal. Is there an animal that has a spiral? Actually, there's an animal that carries a spiral around because he carries his home on his back. And if you're thinking snail, you got it. There's a little spiral in that shell. Whose plan was it for the snail to have a shell with a spiral? You got it, it's God again. How about a person? Now this is a little bit of a stretch, but on people, I think there's a little spiral. Think for a minute. You might have a different idea, but I'm thinking about ears. Ears have a little bit of a spiral in there too, don't they? So we see how God had some neat plans and sometimes plans to use uh, a design again and again in other places. Sometimes if you look at flowers, you might see a spiral inside that too. There's something else in nature we get to see a pattern in. Have you thought about snowflakes? Now, I don't know how well you can see the cover of this book, but this is just some pictures of real life snowflakes. And you've probably heard that each snowflake is a little bit different. They all have a similar kind of a hexagonal shape but each one is a little bit different, each unique. 
who designed that plan? God did. Wow. God also made us with our amazing bodies and God created us each uniquely with little differences, just like the snowflakes. When we learn about God and his word, the Holy Bible, we read that he created the world. The first words of the Bible are some of the most important. Think back, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. Okay, we start to read how God created different parts of the world and the universe. And then we recognize that God created animals. And after the animals, God created a man, Adam, and a woman, Eve, to be companions. Wow, God was busy, wasn't he? When God created us as people, he gave us freedom to choose to worship him, to follow him, try to do the things that he wants us to and live the life he wants us to live. The Bible is full of true stories of how some people chose to be followers of God and Jesus and some of the adventures they had. People who choose to be God's special friends can read and study the Bible and they can talk to God in prayer. Isn't that the coolest? This God that created the world and did all these wonderful things will be with us. All we have to do is talk to him anytime, anywhere. Remember that spiral design in the apple peel? Okay, I cut this apple in half. Let's look and see what we got. Oh, look, stars. Another special miracle from God. Another reminder for us of his love and care for us and for nature. Thank you, God. And thank you, Dawn. A powerful reminder of those twin revelations of scripture and creation teaching us about faith. Thank you for your words. Well, here now, these words I read from the Gospel of Luke. Um, I'm in the 18th chapter now, beginning in verse 31, spilling over into the first 10 verses of chapter 19. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and insulted and spat upon. And after they had flogged him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. But they understood nothing about these things. In fact, what he said was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he shouted even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. 
Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, praised God. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek out and to save the lost. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Thank you, choir, for sharing with us today. Thank you, Mark, for your direction, and Susan and Joanna for tech support so that we can continue to worship even in these days. Well, I'm going to start today with a statement that probably seems painfully obvious to a lot of you. I have no idea what I'm doing up here. Now, of course, I've had plenty of years of experience preaching. I even have a, an advanced degree in it, but I never took a class in pandemic preaching, right? How to preach to an empty room and an iPhone 101. It simply wasn't on the curriculum. The education, the experience that I have is, is, is not based on this situation. I don't even get to, to shake your hands at the end of the sermon to, so you can tell me whether you liked it or not. I have no idea what I'm doing up here. Meanwhile, I, along with the SLT, are trying to figure out a, a schedule for how we're going to kind of move back into in-person worship. Uh, we're balancing all of these different things. Uh, the return of, of kids to school, uh, the appearance of more and more variants, uh, the, the ways that, that more folks are getting uh, vaccinated, uh, the, the social, social isolation that a lot of people are, are facing, uh, even talk of a third wave. All of these different things come together now. I won't speak for everyone on the SLT today, but I would say for my part, I don't have this figured out by a long shot. We'll know more in hindsight, maybe years down the road, but at the moment, we're all trying to figure it out. I would even offer that the, the reshape initiative, the Sunday night meetings that we're continuing to do, uh, the kind of the underlying premise of the whole thing is uh, we don't know. We don't have it all figured out. We, we don't know what we're doing here. Help us figure it out together. Now maybe a lot of you know the feeling. I think a lot of us feel pretty clueless uh, during these days. Now uh, if you look on social media, a lot of people have all the answers, right? They, they know what everybody should do and should have done. The, the government should have done this and the schools should have done this and churches should have done this. All of the, there, there are people that, that know all the answers, but my guess is most of us feel pretty clueless. Uh, maybe even some desperation in the midst of all of this. We thought we knew some things, and then we had to figure out how to teach during a pandemic, or how to uh, sell products during a pandemic, or even how to retire during a pandemic, when we thought we'd be able to, to go visit to see our grandkids and hang out with our friends. None of us really knows what we're doing. And for a lot of us, that's hard. <laughs> we like to know what we're doing. My guess is that there are days when we feel at the end of our rope. Of course, there are some. Some of you, some people you know that have felt that pain more acutely than others. Some have suffered significantly over these last months. Uh, consequences of the coronavirus or other health issues. Uh, some have lost income, lost jobs. Others have struggled with significant mental, mental health issues during these days. Uh, plenty have suffered a lot more than I have. I know that for a fact. I think myself and a lot of us, even if we don't have a, a clear and targeted reason for it, we feel clueless and we feel weary and we, we feel worn. Uh, if I had to name it, I would call it uh, communal coronavirus confusion. Now, I'm sure one day psychologists will have a much better term for what's going on in our life, but it seems to make sense to me. This shared feeling of cluelessness and desperation and weariness this shared sense that we don't know what's going on, and it wears us out. Again, I'll speak for myself, that I'm tired. 
I've noticed it maybe more this week. I don't know what it is, but the the mental tiredness and the confusion about all the decisions that have to be made and the, the new learning required, the extra work required to do just the same thing we always did. And the physical tiredness. I don't know what that one hour of sleep did, but apparently I needed it because I felt more and more exhausted this week than I have in a long time. We share this physical, this mental, this social malaise. And we don't like it. Well, let me suggest that what's been happening to us is perhaps not that different than what we read in the book of Luke. Throughout the gospel, there's this heavy oppressive regime that kind of, uh, kind of hovers over the top of all of the people that we read about. And it leads to this sense of helplessness and a sense of hopelessness. Um, in the face of that, some turn violent, like the zealots. Some turn uh, to perfectionism, like the Pharisees do. Some turn to capitalist, like the tax collectors. But it feels like throughout the Gospel of Luke, no one really gets it. No one really understands what's going on. The first part of today's reading suggests that, right? Jesus once again predicts his death and says it at the very end of that that section there, three times that they have no idea what was going on, right? It says, they understood nothing. The truth was hidden from them. They did not grasp it. Okay, Luke, we get the point, right? They didn't know what was going on, which of course is one of Luke's themes that we've, we've looked at several times over these last several weeks. The Pharisees don't get it, and the, the disciples don't get it, and the crowds follow and love Jesus, but they still don't quite get it either. No one knows how it's going to end up, and it feels like there's this general malaise over everybody. All of Palestine at this point, in the middle of Luke, we, we see this helplessness and this desperation, this cluelessness, this pain, this trauma, this grief. Well, out of that, the story of Zacchaeus emerges. Now, Zacchaeus is an interesting bird in the context of Luke, isn't he? We know mostly the story is a kid's story, right? Uh, for good reason. Kids can really understand. Uh, Pastor Christina did a great job uh, talking to the kids about that, that Zacchaeus experience, right? Being kind of brushed to the side, left out, literally too short to be able to see over a crowd of people. But I think that this is not a kid's story, or at least not only a kid's story. There are some very adult themes that Zacchaeus brings to the forefront here. I, I think the shortness of Zacchaeus is less about his actual stature, but it's more a detail to set up his desperation, how desperate he is to see Jesus. He was stuck in this unhealthy system. The Roman tax collection system was, was kind of like a legalized extortion Uh, Tax collectors would charge their salary from those who paid the taxes as opposed to the ones who should be paying them, the Roman overlords that didn't give them what they needed. So they were victims too. So the common people hated the tax collectors because they resented, they represented the Roman oppressors and because they took their money for their own pockets. The best comparison that I, I would make is maybe an employee at one of these uh, uh, payday loan places that, that charge these exorbitant 500% uh, interest rates, right? Uh, of course, these employees are unpopular with their neighbors who are getting gouged, but they're also disposable to those at the top who use them to gouge their neighbors. And they find themselves in this moral quandary about how to take care of their own needs and their own family at the expense of others. Well, Zacchaeus found himself in the middle of this moral 
malaise. He participated in the system. He perpetuated it. He benefited from it, but he was also the victim of it. The whole system was broken, and so everybody lost. He must have seen what it was doing to his neighbors. He must have known what people said behind his back or even to his face. He was worn and weary and broken and desperate and hurting and tired. And then Jesus came to town. You notice everything changes when Jesus shows up. In each of these stories, the desperation for what Jesus could offer is palpable, right? This uh, picture of this blind man screaming in his desperation and, and, and in his darkness for Jesus to heal him. We get a, a similar picture with the story of Zacchaeus, this similar desperation. There was something that Jesus uh, represented that Zacchaeus longed for, yearned for, needed desperately. He, he was willing to debase himself by climbing up in a tree. Look at the lengths to which he goes to seek that transformation of Jesus, that, that, that healing, that wholeness. <laughs> uh, last fall, we had a photography and spiritual discipline class, uh, and Tom Wilcox uh, brought an old picture that he had taken back in the 80s. Uh, Susan, why don't you put that up there? Let's see if you guys can uh, uh, figure out when this is and where this is. Uh, pretty quickly, you'll notice that this is from uh, the 1990 or 1988 National Championship of the Jayhawks. There's Danny Manning right there in the middle, Chris Piper next to him. Uh, but what I noticed when I saw this picture was not the, the crowds of people or the Jayhawks in the middle, but look at the, look at the upper right corner. Grown men climbing up in trees so desperate for a glimpse of Danny Manning that they will debase themselves, that they will look like fools because they want to see this sight. As silly as it looks to us to see a grown man in a tree, it looked just as silly for those who saw Zacchaeus. But he was desperate. He didn't care what anybody else thought of him. But let me suggest something here. Let me suggest that the power of this story is not just in the energy of the people seeking Jesus. Watch, watch the flip that happens here in the, the middle of the story. Zacchaeus is desperately seeking Jesus, and then Jesus desperately seeks him. Hurry and come down, says Jesus, for I must stay at your house today. Now, it feels funny to use words like desperate when we talk about Jesus, right? It's, it's a different kind of desperation, not a desperation of need, like it was with the blind man, like it was with Zacchaeus, but there is a desperation in Jesus' words, a desperation in his actions. What else would cause a man to march to a certain death but a desperate hope that that march would make a difference? A desperate love for a people hurting and lonely and afraid if it weren't implicit enough in his actions, it becomes explicit at the end of the passage. The Son of Man was sent to seek and to save the lost. The urgency of those seeking Jesus was matched by his urgency seeking them. This story, first and foremost, is a story of welcome by Jesus. Zacchaeus' response is significant, of course it is. He's going to return fourfold all those that he wronged. But 
This is not meant to be a a calculated figure of repentance, of of logical reparations. This is not a math problem for Zacchaeus to pay off his community debts. No, this is an act of praise. An illogical and impractical declaration that comes in the face of the fact that he has been sought. He understands himself, maybe for the first time ever in his life, to be someone worthy of love, worthy of invitation, worthy of grace. When Jesus calls him down from the tree, he moves, he changes. He goes from confused to cared for, from powerless to purposeful, from desperate to dedicated. You know, we like to sit here 2,000 years later and poke fun at those who don't get it in the Gospels, right? The disciples and the Pharisees are like, oh, they're so dumb. Why didn't they understand who Jesus was? But the bottom line is that Jesus does not seem to have much time in his ministry for those who get it, those who have all the answers. He doesn't have much room for those folks. The, The only ones who get it are the ones who know they don't get it who are ready to be sought and found and saved by Jesus, not by their own expertise. All right, what does that mean for us? What do we do then? How do we, how do we practice this? Do we practice our own cluelessness? Do we celebrate our own lostness? Well, yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of. Barbara Brown Taylor says so in her book, The Altar, Altar in the World. Uh, it's a book of spiritual practices and uh, Uh, It talks about different kinds of practices, maybe not in the way that we're used to, but it talks about how we can practice our faith in different ways. Hear how she says this. She talks about wilderness. She talks about the practice of getting lost. And she says it this way. When the safety net has split, when the resources are gone, when the way ahead is not clear, the sudden exposure can be both frightening and revealing. We spend so much of our time protecting ourselves from this exposure that a weird kind of relief can result when we fail. To lie flat on the ground with the breath knocked out of you is to find a solid resting place. She goes on to say the point is to give up on the sufficiency of your own resources. The point is to admit that you are lost which is something that the disciples didn't do so well, neither did the Pharisees. It's the thing that they missed the point of over and over again. They seemed to, to play holy bingo, assuming that their salvation was tied to getting enough numbers crossed off on their scorecard. Check, 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 check. Now Jesus loves me, this I know, for my overworked and overbusy schedule tells me so. But Barbara Brown Taylor says the only way to get it is to throw away that scorecard and to receive the grace of being found, of being loved, of being sought. As does the story of Zacchaeus. He doesn't earn his salvation by Jesus. His works don't preclude his holy welcome. All he did is live out of his lostness, his desperation, his confusion, his need, and Jesus did the rest. Zacchaeus' response to make reparations to others was a natural result of being exposed to a love so deep that it made him want to run out and show that love to everybody. 
even if the mathematics don't line up because (laughs) grace isn't a mathematical equation anyway. One more picture to show you this morning. When you start to look at the medieval pictures of this story of Zacchaeus, you'll start to, to find a trend. There are pictures of Zacchaeus up in his tree alongside of pictures of Jesus on the donkey from the triumphal entry of Palm Sunday. In fact, it's not as weird as it looks to put these two stories together. They're only a a few verses away. Remember, next week is Palm Sunday. We'll get to those verses soon enough. In a a more concrete way, I think a lot of these medieval uh, painters seem to see this connection between the the tree that that Zacchaeus climbed up into and the, the trees which were stripped of their branches to lay on the road in front of Jesus. (laughs) Since Zacchaeus was up the tree anyway, he could throw down a few branches for Jesus and the donkey. But I think there is a spiritual connection as well. Jesus was willing to seek and save the lost, willing to enter into the teeth of the enemy in Jerusalem, willing to lay down his life in desperate love. In some ways, Zacchaeus is a symbol of that love. When he enters that city next week, Jesus is telling every single one of us, like he told Zacchaeus, hurry on down because I am seeking you. I am desperately in love with you. You are sought. And the donkey and the temple and the palms and the cross all tell that age-old story. Jesus seeks you, even unto death, even to the ends of the earth. Let us pray. God who seeks, God who loves, God who offers grace, remind us again what it means to receive. Remind us again what it means to be lost. Remind us again what it means to be found. In your name we pray. Amen. If you understand yourself to be found in a new way today and would respond to the call of Christ to say that you want to uh, follow him into the waters of baptism, if you want to Join this congregation as we do this work of gospel ministry together. However you feel led, you'll find a way to do so, a response there on the chat. You're invited to respond today.
Thank you. Thank you for your participation in worship today. And it's good to be uh, with you, even virtually. It's good to be uh, with Evelyn today. Evelyn is back in the uh, sanctuary for the first time uh, since all of this began. And so it's great to have her with us uh, in person today. Uh, the hope is that we will have many of you in person as you feel comfortable uh, sooner rather than later. The SLT came up with a plan this last week uh, following the uh, recommendation of the uh, uh, county Health Department uh, will look for when they suggest the numbers reach 100. And when that uh, kind of benchmark uh, comes out, then what we'll do is two weeks later, we will begin in-person worship. And we'll do it uh, safely, masked, socially distanced. Uh, we've got a plan for what that will look like. And so that's the, that is the goal. So we kind of watch what the County Health Department and then, of course, watch what uh, the, the church communication looks like. We'll, we'll explain all this again in the newsletter this week. But this is just kind of a... A basic idea so you know uh, what's coming. Of course, there's uh, other programming that we are going to do, kind of continue status quo. Uh, youth has uh, begun, and so uh, they continue with their process, uh, kind of building into more in-person meetings. Uh, 10th through 12th graders uh, meet for ABY this afternoon, so make a, a plan to be a part of that. Uh, but we're going to be status quo with uh, uh, all these other things as well. We're not going to start up Wednesday nights until uh, we look to the fall. We're not going to do anything to change Sunday school for now uh, until we look to the fall uh, some of these different things that are kind of status quo uh, will continue virtually. And then Easter. So Easter Sunday morning uh, will be a celebration that will have kind of two parts. Uh, one, we will have a car church uh, experience at 8.30 in the morning in the parking lot. Think of it like a, a, a sunrise service that you can kind of sleep in for. Uh, not quite at sunrise, but a little bit after at 8.30, we'll gather together for a, a time of, uh, of worship uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the church parking lot as we uh, come together in person. We'll, we'll share a, a breakfast, an Easter breakfast, out in the parking lot after that uh, in a safe way. 
And then uh, uh, following that, we will have our normal live stream service at 1045 uh, that will feel like our traditional service uh, on Easter Sunday morning as well. So those are some of the things that are going to be uh, happening in these coming days and weeks. Um, Thank you for your patience as we try to figure all this out together. Uh, We'll be able to communicate more as the week and as the weeks go on. A benediction now as we leave this place in this spirit together. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you, wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen. Thank you.